Good afternoon, the back community. Thank you as always for staying involved. Thank you for staying engaged. Um, you know, the, uh, the theme for season four is dream bigger. Uh, why not? I, I, I like to say, uh, to today's guest is someone that I, uh, caught a glimpse of when I was still doing season three and you know me, I like to plan my stuff out in advance. And I'm just like, man, I want him on season four and I want him to be the opener for season four. There were two people I knew I was coming after in season four. One was uh, today's guest and the other one was D Wiggins, who I had on already. So I am uh, elated uh, to have today's guest on, who is Mr. Trayvon T. Jackson. Uh, and uh, man, this guy is involved in all over a bunch of things. A few of them would be uh, the president and managing director of Blue Light Development Group. Um, I like to say my favorite uh, thing that I've learned about him too is uh, he's a fellow Virgo. So that just means that you know it's it's <laughs> already it's already a bond. It's already a connection. Uh, but yeah. everything from the South End Grocery to uh, your uh, the County Planning Board. This man has his hands tied in, in in so many different things. So without further ado, the back community, today's uh, today's guest is Trayvon T. Jackson. So T, I just want to say thank you for affording me your time and thank you for being on the back community today. No, absolutely. It's my pleasure, brother. I'm happy to be here. Happy to meet you when we met and uh, looking forward to chopping it up. Thanks. Okay. All right. Well, here's your first official question on the Budweiser hot seat. I always try to do my best. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's what I call it, man. I say I try to do my best to give a warm introduction, but I also believe nobody can introduce us the way that we can introduce ourselves. So my first <clears throat> official question is, uh, Trayvon, here's your opportunity to tell the back community more about you. Uh, what kind of work do you do and who is Trayvon T. Jackson? Absolutely. So the kind of work that I do um, is charitable development. Uh, essentially finding ways to bring money from corporations and other privately held entities and put it into the places and black people that need it. It's my form of reparations. It's the way that I leverage my professional skill to find public good. Um, and that's how I've made my peace with how I came from where I grew up. Uh, in terms of who is Trayvon, that's a much deeper meditation. Mm. And, on my face, I'm a black man, husband, father first, and I always stand on that. I'm also a man and a man of dignity and respect, so I always stand on that. And I'm a man of my people, let me ente, for uh, all of my compatriots uh, on the island. Uh, so first and foremost, I stand on principle for my people, and I do not make myself meek or meager for any presentation. Um, I do that on behalf of the presentation of my people. And that's that South Troy mindset for you. Uh, I was born and raised South Troy, South Troy against the world for whoever still remember or recognize. If you know, you know. And for me, that is seeing my neighborhood have the bottom fallout, the elementary schools close, the county jail be right behind my spot, all the families leave, the houses burned down. That's what motivated me to come and work in the South End neighborhood and other places where people still work. Uh, my challenge was coming from a place of isolation, you know, solitude. Uh, family situation where my mother wasn't in the position to take me when I wanted her to um, and battling that through life and making sure I don't carry that anger into the wrong places. And that's why a lot of my fire, my fuel is so passionate um, because I'm channeling things that could be messy into what's divine. Mm. 
Mm, I like it. I like it. So you listen, almost sounded like a poet. The last guy I had on before he was a poet, yours just came off so eloquently. I almost started snapping when you was just giving your explanation. Um, but, um, you know, shout out to Troy, uh, definitely. In a lot of ways, you know, I'm up in Albany pretty often. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I'll go through Troy, I'll go through Schenectady. And I always tell people it's amazing to see how much development has happened in Troy and how much development has happened in Schenectady. Oftentimes, and I and I hate to say it publicly, but it's the truth. I can go to Schenectady and Troy and I'd be like, yo, these, these spots are looking better than Albany. And it was it yeah. was always the opposite for me uh, 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 coming up in Albany and then traveling to uh, Schenectady and Troy, even as a youngster. Now you spend truth. When I grew up in Troy, we all that was a la born. Mm. Yeah, you know I mean, so we we slid that way for games or like politicking, you know, ground level stuff. And I was really only out there for programs. Like if I was getting bust to you, Albany for an accounting program or mm. like I was in a slew of nonprofit programs that were designed to take smart, poor black kids. And connect them with better opportunities, better people, better vision, better meaning, something that will expand your view of your world. Mm. Okay, I think I lost you. But if you can hear me, uh, I was going to say, uh, to your point, uh, it reminds me of uh, Sponsor a Scholar or uh, 518 Elevated, um, right? Uh, exactly. And, right? And it's just like... Um, you know, and that's another thing that we have in common, you know, uh, and I didn't learn that until earlier this year. But, you know, yeah. those programs and the the, the life changing elements that you get just from exposure, uh, uh, being a kid that grew up in these neighborhoods, you know, the exposure that you get, like going to SPAC and seeing the Harlem Boys Choir, you know, going on all of these different college tours and stuff like that from programs like you just said uh, you were involved in from uh, accounting exposure and all of that stuff. Uh, exposure and consistency, I think, changes the trajectory of all of us, especially as young adults, though. Well, absolutely. And in my case, you know, my trajectory for people who are local to the region or who have been familiar with me, you know, I've been blessed to be visible through my journey of success. So in that, there's been a lot of reflection on my trajectory and how it's always looked, right? It's always looked as though it was upward, but I lived in a space where it felt ground level in the struggle mm. and for me it was always penthouse pavement or curb i'm gonna be who i am mm. and i came first and foremost from you know a block where i was a street runner before anything right mm. and i never felt comfortable you know jumping face first into a gang environment even though my family did that they didn't want me to do that and i was already starting behind the eight ball with the people who could be in my space as guardians and their availability you know my grandparents raised me and I'll always love them and be grateful for the journey that they put me on. But it is also one of isolation because mm. we as black people will glaze over the traumatic and the uncomfortable if it is presented as a better option than the alternative. And for me, because I was not in a foster home and I was with my grandparents, we glazed over the discomfort of absence. We glazed over the channeling of anger. We glazed over the presentation and the romanticizing of me doing better than everyone thought I would. So in my life, I'm used to not being met halfway at my struggle. And that's why even today I look like someone who doesn't need help or doesn't require help or doesn't need to embrace help. A lot of that is self-reflective in how people view me and my ascent to the position that I'm at. 
And it's hard to hold the blessing in one hand and the critique in the other and have them feel like the same weight. Mm. But that is Trayvon. I love it. I love it. And it's uh, one, I appreciate your vulnerability uh, in the explanation of it, because uh, none of us live uh, a just singular lives. Right. You know, it's kind of like oxymoronic in a lot of ways, like how we end up being where we are. It's just like, you know, I'm not supposed to be here, actually. Uh, but then it's just like, yeah, you know, so but then to your point, it's just like, hey, well, you know what people say, like, you know, I shouldn't have anything to complain about because I had somebody, but I didn't have the dynamics that, you know, a part of me thought that I should have too, right? And it's and it's really deep because, you know, it, it took me to get older. It took me to get married. Uh, and it took me to dive into this one book called um, How We Love, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and, it, and it talks about um, attachment theory. And like who we are as adults has everything to do with, you know, our interactions with love, how love was shown to us as kids. And I think the older we get as people, we think that what happened to us previously doesn't affect us. And it's so far from the truth. (laughs) No, that's a whole fact, brother. I like I didn't think I was going to live to 18. And then when I hit 18, I was like, okay, I live this long. I got to survive. So then my mindset switched to just straight eat provide do what you got to do to get resources in and then you do that and i'm like okay but i'm running around at this point you know what i mean by 19 i'm in chicago working at the investment bank and i'm splitting time running around atlanta so i'm playing ball on the south side when almighty so drops mm-hmm. right like that's the type of environment i'm in but i always feel comfortable like if you from the hood you know what any hood feels like mm-hmm. and for me it's always been this dichotomy of a boardroom in the street and that real penthouse pavement curb mentality. And, and it's reinforced by Yasin Bey, formerly most deaf, because you don't have to fracture who you are as a person mm. into multiple points of expression. If you can grapple. You're on a deep point. I think I lost you. Oh, I hear you. You hear me? Yeah, yeah. So, so. Yo, I'm telling you, man, in all possible ways, the feds are bugging my life. I know this. I know this. I'm telling you. I, and that, but even that's an example of like people just speaking straight have always viewed me as, and someone said this to me and about me that I'm like a black elite. Mm. And I have been that, right? And me being a, a Morehouse grad and a student of my black history, I'm like, Black elite, what's that mean? Like, <laughs> I know a lot of black elites that ain't come from the mud that I came from and that I'm still chipping off my shoes. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, what does that even mean to me? And I had to do some meditation to realize that I was blessed with an ability to empathize mm. with a diverse array of people. And it's because I was so detached mm. when I was young. There's a lot of biases that I didn't build off strength of having to just rely on my inner voice. Mm. And when you just talk to yourself, right, you're used to bringing in other people's perspectives under the mask of your own because it's your mind approximating other contacts. Mm. It's like the imaginary friend syndrome. It's your friend, but it's you talking as your friend. So for that, I always found peace with older white people, um, Indian, uh, 
Arabic, even in terms of how I upload language and cultural expression and, and how I try to build myself as a man and what I try to reflect that I see in the world. So taking that step back, it really becomes a matter of who can you empathize with and where. Mm. It's not what world are you in or what person are you? Because I would have multiple personality disorder trying to fit into all the boxes people put on me. I just show up as myself in any room that I'm in. And that's where the this or that comes into play. Is he this dude who came from this? And now he's just playing in these spaces, these corporate spaces as a hustle, as a way to get ahead. Is he already ahead? Is this a corporate dude who is always up and is just showing the environment around him and how that patterns his culture and how he moves? In, in real talk, I'm a dude that made it from somewhere I thought I never would. And now I'm doing it so publicly that everyone has an opportunity to watch my metamorphosis as a man. Right. I turned 30 this year. Mm, congratulations. Turned 30 this year. Right. So when you look at someone with an assumption or a presumption of blessing or anointing, you can lose the testimony part of the journey. Mm. And what I think people are seeing of me more now that I'm living unabashedly is my testimony. And that's a beautiful thing to share your testimony with other people like minded and not, because that's how you build faith. And that's mm -hmm. what I operate on. Okay. And, you know, I, I just had to add one point to it is just realizing that you can authentically be who you are without changing your core elements was crucial. And I think that is crucial for a lot of uh, young black males. I think it's crucial for a lot of uh, inner city kids as a whole, right? You know, because we're taught like, uh, you're a sellout if you're smart. You're a sellout if you get a good job. You're a sellout if you move away. You're a sellout for all of these things. And it's like... You're a sellout if you have white... Listen, man, it's always when you say something good that your thing freezes. In all possible ways, the feds is bugging my life. Yes, and then they call you a sellout for mm. having white partners that you work with to give to black people, mm. right? And that demonizing of, of bridge building. And that's, you know, if there's some peek under the rug, dirty secret, you know what I mean, that how I work, it's this tension between the fact that I did make it out of my hood and I was successful. Like, I started at an investment bank at 19. I earned everything I got, and it's still outrageous to me. I know I did the work and it's still outrageous. I'm the only black youngest person in that bank class. And the first grip of money that I touched, that first million dollars I made for myself, I gave away. Mm. That's how things like the African-American Cultural Center and other projects and blue light and things built up to the point that they did where people were just looking up and we're making all these moves in this motion. And I'm not indebted to nobody. Nobody's my handler. I'm not coming here as a proxy for someone else. I'm speaking as me, right? And then you hit the point of, okay, that happens. But how? How is it believable? I had another local uh, white philanthropist, an older gentleman. He goes, I've never seen a black philanthropist that's young. Mm. What, what, what are you, why, who, how does that even happen? What does that even mean? What do you, and on strength of that, me making it out, doing what I did, giving first, 
right? Now you fast forward, you arrive to the present where it's okay, yeah, we do take on debt and lose money and go into difficult business situations to serve other people. And when those things happen, we reach out to partners to help us. Mm. And the partners I always reach out to first, real rap, white, professional, and business. Mm. Because to me, that's our form of reparations, and we have that understanding with each other in our rapport. This isn't money that somebody's. This is money that's borrowed over time and was held in abstract from the people who really should have had it. Mm. You're guiding these resources on behalf of people who were stolen from it. So now for you to give that back and do something positive through a vehicle, that's that's not selling out. That's literal reparation, mm. right? But getting people on a front page to play them out and put a title on it, a tagline, whatever the case, that's not going to be successful. You got to treat people as real people. That's going to be your ally. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and it's and it's you know uh, you know. My my experiences have have taught me in life, you know, that there is uh, there's there's good black people. There's bad black people. There's good white people. There's bad white people. Right. I lived over in Africa for a while. That experience changed my life. Right. And, you know, I've I, I have white friends. I got Spanish friends. I got Arab friends. The one thing that I've learned is that, you know, I just genuinely like good people, period. Right. Help me to find good people. Help me to find people who genuinely want to help. And it seems like, you know, your earlier experiences are what shaped you to have the heart and the passion to move and operate uh, the way that you are as it pertains to uh, community development. And it's uh, absolutely commendable. Shout out to Morehouse. You know, uh, 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 any HBCU gets favored with me. Even though I went to the best school in the world, which is Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte, North right, Carolina, you, you know, you I'm go. just, I'm just saying, I'm just here saying. But I know, I, I know about the Lord, and and, and and you know how much Morehouse means to Morehouse men. Uh, uh, with the double, with the double click, <laughs> this, bro, oh, you're doing me crazy right now. Look, the Morehouse, all right, you can, nah, you got it though. The only reason I went to Morehouse, I'll keep it real. I only knew Morehouse off strength of like the name reverence. Mm. So like you say Morehouse and the weight that came with it, but I thought I was going to run track in college. And then Morehouse came with an academic scholarship. And they're like, yo, this is a black dude from up North who's smart. We all got a lot of those down there in Atlanta. And they got me to come down. And it was a beautiful experience for all of that. But you already know Morehouse is the best HBCU, man. How you? And, it, and it's low key. It's not even off strength of Morehouse. It's off strength of Spelman being next door. Facts. Listen, uh, yeah. add that part. You know, my niece is there now. But, you know, add that part. Add the fact that you got Clark Atlanta right there, too. You got the trifecta. You say, well, listen, you can't go wrong right here. There's no stronger place for black people than an area where black women are empowered and in strength. Mm. Okay. And that is definitely what that is. Okay. I love it. I love it. Well, let me see, man. I'm going to get to it because uh, uh, I, I can probably talk to you about a lot of different things. Uh, one of the things that uh, uh, I love about uh, the Back Community podcast is that it gives me the opportunity to connect uh, with uh, the people or my guests uh, more on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And it's just like, oftentimes we see each other as adults, we see each other as who we are today, but we forget to 
uh, 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 visualize who we are as individual people and the person that makes you who you are. So one of the ways that uh, I get to peel back those layers is by doing fun games and something that I like to call uh, rapid fire. Okay. So 60 seconds of questions, just asking right. you more about right. uh, who you are, and I'm going to get a chance to uh, uh, learn more about you. I always tell people, I can tell a lot about you by the music you listen to, by the movies right. you watch, or the places yep. you visited. But um, okay. are you ready for this uh, 60 second round of rapid fire, sir? Yo, I'm ready. And I feel like this is going to be fun because my wife is going to grill me on my answers after. And that's going to be the part two. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Let me see. I'm going to start you off with uh, what is your favorite shoe or sneaker if you had to choose one? Oh, that's wild. Uh, favorite shoe that I have right now is probably a pair of Steve Madden combat boots. If you said favorite shoes all time, it would either be a pair of Converse All-Stars all leather high top, I used to skateboard in those, or it would be a pair of Air Jordan 1s, all leather, I used to hoop his nose. Basically okay. the same shoe. Okay, you just went the whole full gamut right there. Okay, all uh, right, all right. If if you had to choose any place in the world uh, that uh, you would choose to live, where would it be and why? Oh, man, I lost you again. Watch this. See, I told you. See, I said Puerto Rico. I said it so fast, it's easy. It wasn't even <laughs> easy. Everything I say that the American government would not like has caught the freeze up on this call. I just want to point Puerto Rico easy. Okay. Puerto Rico easy. Nice, nice. Okay, if, if you had to choose um, a favorite actor, a uh, favorite actor, favorite actress, uh, who would it be? Yeah, you tweaked out with this one. Um, all right, long run, I got to say my boy Jimmy Stewart. Mm. He's a national treasure. Uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, the original one, not the Will Smith remake in the 90s. And then most people know him for It's a Wonderful Life. Mm. The banker. I was a banker. You see the parallels. My boy Jimmy Stewart. Okay. Okay. All right. Actress. Or, or if you want to leave it there, just as that Jimmy Stewart, I can leave it there. Nah, I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna throw my girl Audrey Hepburn, Miss Holly Golightly, some flowers right now. Yo, I am upset that you keep freezing out on me, T. Let me see if you if 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 you can hear me because I'm sure by the time I start this question, uh, 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 you'll be back. Uh, but um, uh, who? Nope, still not there. Now you are. Nope. Yo, I said a people and my Wi-Fi crashed. That oppressed people and my Wi-Fi crash. Miss Holly mm. lightly, but always stunned she would show up to rally not sexy to do so. I would say Audrey Hepburn's my favorite actor. All right, all right. And if you had to choose, uh, uh, what would be your favorite cheat meal? Let's say you're having a bad day. Like, uh, what's your go-to meal that you enjoy eating that's, that makes you happy? I'm a foodie, so I love this question. Me, mm. the Philly cheesesteak. 
Every time I've had it, it's it's that. It's that. In Philly or just anywhere? Anywhere. Shit, listen, I'm telling you. And there's some people who been to the store who can attest to it. don't matter where she makes it. Them Phillies are, it's that. Because my girl, she's connecting the dots with that one. Okay, okay. Yeah, whenever I go to Philly, man, it's a spot called uh, Delisandro's. Man, uh, I love it. Uh, me and my frat brothers get up together there, and it's just like I be wanting to bring four or five of those things home with me to D.C., but I don't. Uh, but, yeah, okay, good choice, good choice. All right. Yeah, man. All right. Yeah, well, let man. Me, let me see. Um, I know earlier I mentioned several of the different things that you're actually involved in. Um, and, and one of them is what actually, um, brought attention to me about the type of person that you are and the work that you're doing. And that's South End Grocery, right? You know, uh, for a person like before I moved out of Albany, I lived on Trinity Place. Um, and you know, so, 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 uh, so, uh, uh, uh that, that was my community, uh, the South End area before I moved out of Albany. And when I seen what uh, uh what uh what you did with the south end grocery and transformed that area into a grocery store i thought that it was revolutionary one because you know uh it was a black man uh black organization behind that and seeing the relevance of bringing a grocery store to an area that they considered to be a grocery desert just means that there's no grocery stores uh, uh there but how was it uh, for you envisioning the thought of what the old McDonald's could be? How, how, how was it for you? Where did that idea come from and why? Um, and, and yeah, and why? No, I, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm looking up, I'm seeing, I don't know, already talked for a minute. So I'm, I'm being mindful of time. I want to make sure I get to, to touch on this before we got to close anything up. Uh, you know, vision wise, honestly, it was a lot of me allowing myself to be led by what other people wanted and needed and what I felt I was receiving in that space. Um, I have no grocery experience. And when I pulled my wife and my family into the project and we did what we had to do to make it come to fruition, uh, none of us had grocery experience. We just had experience seeing black and listening to what people need first and foremost. Um, and that's what was related to us. So we listened. The project was an exercise in listening first and foremost. And then at the point where we opened and are operating and are encountering the real struggles and trying to renovate the place and put it together in a way that makes sense, that's all learning, right? So it was built on listening and learning before anything. Um, and the learning, especially once we got the doors open and on the fly or doing something that no one ever did before, especially in that space. Absolutely. And, and that's, like I said, that's what stood out to me about it is because in that area, where, you know, and you never really think about it until you step outside of it. And you're like, well, wait a minute. There there isn't any grocery stores here in this area. And just like the, the closest grocery store is up on Delaware Avenue or something like that, right? But long story short, yeah, it was it's like it a was, mile and change away. Huh? Yeah, it's like a mile and change away. Yeah. And the whole idea was you know, that's too far for people, seniors, neighborhood folks, the folks who matter, the ones who shop with us consistently, the thousand or so customers who are always part of the division and the consistent clientele we have, you know, taking a bus trip to go back and forth and carry all this stuff is not realistic. And we stood on that and we stood on the idea that this should not be something that the people 
have to pay for out of their own pocket. And that really only became necessary because funding commitments from other partners did not come through, whether it's the county or city or other organizations, you know, paying their share or doing their work. And in our case, you know, our appetite to help others outgrew our personal wealth. Gotcha. And I feel like that's a wonderful place to be in spiritually, right? You say to be a generous giver and to give more than you receive and do it in faith and understanding that the universe, God, whoever fuels you every day will restore your needs and build you up bigger and greater because you showed up for the people you were supposed to. I mean, I, I will never let my family be destitute for anybody. And we will always stand on principle, even if it's beyond our current means. That just means we need to level up to do the work we're trying to do. And we've done a lot of level up through this process to get to the point we're at now. Yep, yep. And, and um, I, I remember opening my mentoring organization there in, in Albany. And I said, I ran that for nine years, right? And a lot of it was off of my own dollar and the and the dollars of the uh, my partners who was running it with me. And it's like, sometimes you can want more for people in an area than they want for themselves right and that's that's a tough thing to do right especially when you feel like you're in a position to try to help and you can see a vision and i can tell like from you you know i mean moving away going to atlanta uh having your time in chicago like we bring back those experiences with us right we bring back those experiences and it was like being in charlotte changed everything for me for school it's like oh wow this is like you can have a whole nother life down here they're doing it this way down here it was just like Okay, well, I can come back. I can bring this to Albany too. But it all, I also learned a great lesson through there that what you just mentioned too is it's like, you know, sometimes at our own expenses, we're trying to save other people. And, you know, I I, I accrued debt. I racked up debt. And it was also it was like I had to realize it was one of those things that I had to let go in order to really uh, build myself up the way that I am now or where I needed to be. And what the Jay-Z say best is like, I, 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 uh, how do I help the poor if I'm one of them? So I got rich, then gave back. Mm. Now that's the win-win. Mm-hmm. No, that's a whole fact. And that's, you know what I'm saying? I'm sitting here meditating. Like we said, we could talk forever yeah. and go so deep with this. I'm, I'm looking around. I'm about to run and stuff. And I'm, okay. you just got so many ideas on my head, on my top. I just want to say before we close to do anything on that point, you do not have to feel guilt for putting your family first. We do not have to feel guilt as black people for ensuring that our village is okay in the midst before or after the work that we're doing. And there is an honesty in the realization that you may not be the catalyst for everyone else's salvation, but you can always be the catalyst for your own. Mm. And that's the place that I'm in, in peace with my family and us living well and us being happy and us even making spaces for things like this to, affirm our viewpoint and speak out on the work that we do and have our voices be heard on black platforms honestly and accurately there's an effort to twist and defray and divide us and i love that i'm sitting here on a day one of my best friend's birthdays mm. sitting here getting ready to celebrate and i get to be as black as i've ever been as friendly as i've ever been as committed as i've ever been and i don't have to feel guilty for it as long as i'm honest and i show up the right way for my family um, and that's that's what I take away, or I'll be talking for forever, and we go, we gonna mess up the whole rest of this day. I tell you, but the whole rest of our day will be messed up. We keep doing this. Hey, hey, listen, man, I'm gonna let you go. One because, uh, like I said, I know you're a busy person, and it's uh, significance in celebrating others. 
uh, uh, Trayvon, I can't thank you enough uh, for your spirit uh, and what you're bringing and the fact that you're standing on uh, who you are and your experiences have uniquely shaped you to have the heart to do the work that you're doing. So uh, kudos to you. My hats are off to you, to you and your family. Uh, you know, Virgo household. Woo, woo, woo. Yeah. But uh, uh, yep. uh, th thank you for everything that you're doing, man. I know you got to go celebrate uh, uh, your friend's birthday. So uh, do that. But thank you for being on the back community. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, get a chance to, to showcase you and highlight you in this avenue, man. But I wish you nothing but continued success moving forward. And I wish uh, the same for you and your family. Thanks for being on the back community. Yo, thank you for the love and positivity and holding space for that. I'm glad we fit it in. Always, man. Have a good one. Yo, you too, King.